One of the prayers that Jesus taught us is to give us this day our daily bread. And right now, our daily bread is for you to show us your glory. We, we need crumbs. We need meat and vegetables less than we need to see your glory. And so would you show us your glory today? Would you show us your beauty? Would we be enthralled today as we open up your scripture? Would we be enthralled by how gloriously beautiful you are? And how excellent you are. How infinitely excellent you are in all of your being and in all of your character. In all of your ways. Lord, may we be overwhelmed and in awe by your greatness and your splendor, and your majesty. That it shapes the way that we think, and it shapes the way that we believe, so that it shapes the way that we live. Lord, more than anything else today, show us Yourself. We were made for this. We were made for glory. And so would You help us to enter into a vision of Your splendor, Your excellence, Your beauty, that we may behold you and become like you. We ask it in the name of the Savior. Amen. You can be seated. You can turn your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We are now uh, five weeks into a sermon series that we're calling Deeper because we're going deeper into Christ. In week one, we went deeper into the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in the person and work of Jesus. And we went deeper into the gospel in week one, saying that if we don't do anything else, we've got to go deeper in our roots, in our, in our rootedness in this good news. Then we went deeper in gratitude because Paul says, I thank God for you because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. He says, so I continue to thank God for you. I thank Him, I thank Him, I thank Him because of what He's done for you in the Gospel. We went deeper in the knowledge of God. What, what Paul said is that I pray that you may know Him and that you may know His will and that you may understand Him. And in other words, Paul is saying, look, I, already, I know that you know God, but I want you to know Him better. I don't want you to walk in His wisdom. And so we, we, we settled in for about an hour and studied that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we went deeper in redemption. If you look down at verses 13 and 14, it says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what a study we had last week as we went deeper in the glories of redemption. And Paul now transitions into what many call a hymn. And he begins to write this hymn in verse 15. And it is to have our eyes squarely fixed on the glory of Christ and the supremacy of Christ. And so this morning we're going to read verses 15 through 23. And I have to hand it to Phil. He warned me on Monday that I should take a smaller text than this text. I went all week until last night thinking I'm going to take the whole thing. 
But we are calling an audible, and we're only going to take the very first few verses, okay? So, Phil, you are wiser than, uh, than maybe I thought on Monday. So, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read 15 through 23. He, that is Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven... And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God bless the reading of his word. In God's good providence, I know many, if not most of you, really well. I know some of you pretty well. And then there are some I don't know quite as well, or some of you I don't even know at all. But I can make the following statement with confidence, and that is this You are regularly tempted to distrust the promises of Jesus Christ. You are regularly tempted to distrust all the provisions and and all of the protection that Jesus Christ wants to offer you in himself. I know that about you. I know that about myself. Because in our fallen nature, we we just we we don't want to trust him. We don't want to believe him. We don't, we don't want to just say, I'm, I'm going to trust you at your word with this problem, with this situation, with this circumstance, with this relationship. We're all guilty of distrusting Jesus Christ to one degree or another. We distrust his promises. You know, um, Jesus says, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. And yet, even though he gives us this promise, we are tempted to not believe him when we are going through the worst of circumstances. And you know what? Jesus gave us that promise for when we were going through the worst of our circumstances. We're tempted to disbelieve his his providence. Listen, Jesus says, I work all things out, uh, out according to the counsel of my will for my good pleasure and for your good. But Romans 8, 28 through 38 promises us 
This, this providence that, that everything that I go through, my good health and my bad health, my good relationships and my bad relationships, my problems in my, at work and my promotions at work, they all work out for His glory and my good. But when we're going through the most difficult of times, we distrust His providence. We distrust His, his power. Christ would say, I have creative power. I have sustaining power. I have resurrection power. So there is nothing in your life that is, that is too insurmountable with me. And yet, we say, I, I just don't think that that's going to change. I don't think that this relationship has any opportunity to change. I, I don't think that my circumstances have any... It, there's no availability here. There's no open door. And Christ would say, I own the door. I can open it any time. Trust me. We distrust his provision. You know, in, in uh, 2 Peter, Christ essentially says that I have the power to give you everything that you need for your life and for godliness. Right. I have that power yeah. to be able to provide that for you. And we distrust him. And what we essentially say, we don't, we don't always say it out loud, but what we often say in our heart of hearts, we say, you know, I believe that, that Jesus provides for others I believe that he fulfills his promises for others. I believe that he's good to others. I believe that even he works everything out in his providence for others, but, but I'm the exception. I'm the exception. And I believe that the Lord would have me say to you today that you are not the exception. There's nobody in this building today who is the exception to that rule. And so this is... This is the main idea. This is the big idea. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. He is supreme in His church for sure. And, and, he in, and, and in His supremacy over everything and in His church, that includes you, your circumstances, your family, your problems. It includes all things pertaining to you. And, and this is the deal. The goal of this message is to show you the supremacy of Christ so that you will embrace the sufficiency of Christ in your life. All right? So, so you need to see His supremacy so that you'll embrace His sufficiency in everything uh, about your life. So the, the title of the message is uh, deeper is deeper in Christology. Deeper in Christology. Some of you have never said the word Christology. Some of you have never read the word Christology. Okay, Christology is 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 merely the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, tracking with me? It's the study of the person and work of Jesus. It answers the questions: Who is Jesus? And the reason that I wanted to name the, the title Deeper in Christology is because I don't want Redeemer Church to be afraid of theology. I don't want us to be afraid of going deeper into the things of God because, because I know this, the deeper we go into Christ and understanding who He is and what He's done and what He's all about, the higher we can go in worship. But the shallower we go in our understanding of Jesus and we just say things, well, I'm just about loving Jesus. I don't really know much, but I'm just trusting in Him. Well, that's great that you trust Him. But Jesus said, I pray that they may have life eternal. And this is life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And so we want to go deeper in our knowledge of Christ so we can go higher in our adoration of Him. So we're going deeper in Christology. Now, there is nothing, 
more important about you than what you know and believe about Jesus. I'm convinced of this. There's nothing more important about you than what you know and believe about Jesus. Oh, Ben, um, you you may be a good pharmacist and, and you help a lot of people and you know all the drugs that you have to be able to parse in order to give people the right thing, but all of that is irrelevant in comparison to what you know and believe about Jesus. Mark, you may be a good builder, but your good building skills are irrelevant in comparison to what you know and believe about Jesus. But once you know and believe the right things about Jesus, once you know and appropriate all of who Christ is and what He's done on your behalf and what He's going to do in the future on your behalf, Mark, man, you can be a builder for the glory of Jesus and you can be a pharmacist for the glory of Jesus, Ben. It all depends on appropriating Christ. And so what I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks is to give you two truths and one response. Two truths and one response. I'm going to give you the first truth this morning, and that is that Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. We begin to see that in verse 15. And we ask the question, okay, okay, how is he supreme? If you're going to assert this, Ryan, that Jesus Christ is sovereignly supreme over everything that exists, show me. Show me how. Well, that's exactly what Paul does. First of all, Paul would say that he is supreme in his deity. He is supreme in his deity. Now, if you don't know the word deity, that means his godness. He is supreme in his godness. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. What he is saying then is he is the physical revelation of the invisible God. He is the full representation of the nature and being of God himself. This word image, an interesting word. The the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. He's uh, in and around the temple area. And and, uh, one one of the folks chimes in to Jesus and says, Hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus has an interchange with these guys. And he says, uh, sh- show me a denarius. Show me a denarius. And, 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 and he says, whose image and inscription is on this coin? And of course, it's Caesar's image. And then he goes on to say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. But on that coin is the likeness, the picture, the representation of Caesar. So that when people looked at that coin, they saw Caesar. When Paul says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, what he's saying is when you look at Him, you're seeing God. When you look at Him, you're seeing the manifestation, the physical representation of the eternal God. And so um, Jesus is not a coin. He is not an immaterial object. He is a person who existed in eternity past, who voluntarily and lovingly took on human flesh, who lived perfectly, who died sacrificially, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is coming back one day. He is a real person, and he's done real things. But, but I think it's important for us to just say, wait a minute, okay, we, we can make a grand, bold theological statement that says, when we see Jesus, we're looking at God. But I think we want to get a little bit more practical than that. I think what we want to say is when we read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, 
and we see Jesus reaching out to touch an unclean leper and and healing him on the spot, we want to say that we see the love of God right there. Okay? When, When Jesus looks before a crowd and he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you. He doesn't say, the Lord says. Or the Father. He says, I say unto you. What we see is the authority of God in that very moment. When we see Jesus in the boat being woken up by the disciples because of the terrible weather outside and the wind and the waves are crashing and he goes out and he says, peace, be still. And the waves stop and the wind stops and everything is silent. What we are seeing is the very power of God himself. And so as we walk through the Gospels, we can see the manifestation of God in the person of Jesus. Now, the testimony of Scripture is clear. In John chapter 1, we read, we read that uh, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Right? He was in the beginning with God. All right? And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He was full of grace and truth. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Father. And then listen to what, listen to what John 1.18 says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right side, He has made Him known. He has made Him known. That is, Jesus reveals the glory of God. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. Listen, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. So when we see Christ, we are beholding the glory of God. We see His radiance. And the Hebrews writer says, He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so, Redeemer Church, make no mistake about it. When you behold the person of Jesus, you are beholding all of the perfections of God Himself. And so, so I want to say this. Jesus is worthy of more than your respect. He is worthy of more than your awe. He is worthy of your worship because He is the image of the invisible God. Give Him what He is due. And so, He is supreme over everything, first of all, by being supreme in His deity. Second, He is supreme in His authority. He is supreme in His authority. Paul says that He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does this mean? It means that he's sovereign over creation. It means that he's highest in rank. He's highest in authority. The the word firstborn can be confusing. It is not not to be confused with with chronology. This this word is not intended to to indicate something chronologically. It's it's something to indicate um, priority. And, and rank rather than, than time. Like, like if I were to say I'm the firstborn son of Malian Ellen Limbaugh, I have two other sons, Scott is the middle and Sloan is the third, what I'm saying is I, I'm the first one who was born by, uh, of them. That is not what, what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that he is highest. He is, he is most glorious. He has the most authority of anyone because he stands above and over 
his creation. And I, I, uh, I will, if you're, if you're a note taker, you can write down Psalm 89, verse 27. Psalm 89, verse 27, because God is declaring these things about his Messiah, about his son. And he's saying certain things about him. And listen to what God says about his Messiah. He says, I will make him my firstborn. I will make him my firstborn. And it begs the question, what do you mean, God? What do you mean you're going to make him his firstborn, your firstborn? Does, does that mean you're going to create him first before you create anything else or anyone else? And listen to what God says. He says, the highest of the kings of the earth. The highest of the kings of the earth. In other words, God is saying about his Messiah, he will be highest in rank, highest in authority, highest and chief above all. All right, so, so there is his authority. He is the sovereign authority over all of creation. Jesus Christ is. R.C. Sproul once said, there is no maverick molecule in the universe if God is sovereign. I believe that. And this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the one who exercises God's sovereign will. God's sovereign authority. And so that every molecule and every atom and every human and every animal and every plant and every stream and every weather pattern and every star and every planet and every galaxy and every angel and every demon and everything that is falls underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. Nothing is outside the authority of Jesus. And that includes your family. That includes your finances. That includes your health. That includes all that you're dealing with on a daily basis because Christ has supreme authority. Well, what did he say? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. He said, listen, I am all the way, the truth, and the life. And then when he was kind of put to the test, he said, listen, before Abraham was, I am. I have all authority. And so we, we need to know that our Savior has supreme, sovereign authority. You know, uh, Jamie and I have, have been through a lot of difficulties parentally uh, through the, the years of our marriage because we have foster-parented a number of kids and we've adopted uh, th three, three children. And when you enter into um, the state's realm, then, then what you do is you understand that you really don't have a lot of control. And so whether it be in Los Angeles or whether it be in Calhoun County or wherever else that Jamie and I have been, I have been in courtrooms. I have been in state buildings, outside of meetings, sometimes inside the actual courtroom looking at judges, realizing that I have no control in this situation. I remember one time a, a fellow church member sent me a message and just said, uh, Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21 says, the, the, uh, the heart of the king is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And I have sat in many a waiting room and in a courtroom 
wondering what verdict was going to come down. And I'm telling you, if I didn't believe in the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ, I have no idea what I would have done for hours on end in those circumstances. But because I know and I trust and I believe in the authority of Jesus, I trust in His ways with my life. Good, bad, or indifferent. And so embrace His authority in your life and in your circumstances. I also want to tell you he is supreme in his creation. He is supreme in his creation. Paul says, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Keep your eyes down at the text because we're just going to look at a few little phrases here because this, this whole section right here is really chopped up with small little prepositional phrases. First of all, Paul says, by him. By him. That means everything that's ever been created was created by Jesus Christ. All things. He says, not a few things. Not a lot of things. Not most things. But all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Paul's saying, if you can see it, Jesus created it. If you can't see it, Jesus created it. He says, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Listen, what he's saying, these are spiritual forces. These are supernatural forces. All right, the highest of angels, the strongest spiritual powers, even the dark forces of this age, ultimately, Jesus Christ is the creator of. And he says, through him, through him. Christ is the agent by which creation was accomplished on the front end. And I love this. Look at the very last phrase. Not only was it through him, but it is for him. Christ is the ultimate goal of all of creation. All of creation finds its purpose, its goal, and its chief end in the glory of Jesus Christ. He is at the center. Yeah, so... So there are no accidents, there are no coincidences, there are no mistakes when it comes to Christ's creation. I believe that um, sometimes we Christians can get depressed and discouraged, especially when our life circumstances are, are really bad. And most of us have had really bad life circumstances. And sometimes we're tempted to think, um, I'm just a mistake. I never should be here in the first place. My, my life is, 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 is all wrong. I, I, I don't even think I should live anymore because I think I should have never been born. There have been plenty of Christians who thought that. And what Paul would say from this passage is that Christ created you. He fashioned you. He made you for His glory and and for for your good. And you need to embrace and trust His sovereign, creative, not only His ability, but His design in your life for your circumstances so that you can give Him glory and get the greatest joy out of it. He's supreme in His creation, and that includes everything. And then He's supreme in His eternality. Look, Look down at the text. Paul says He is before all things. He is before all things. In other words, he's saying 
Christ existed before all other things came into existence. I quoted uh, Jesus' words, I am, a minute or two ago. In John 8, when the Jews were interrogating Jesus, listen to what they told him. They said to him, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus replied, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said, You're not even 50 years old yet. You think you've seen Abraham? And that's when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What, what Jesus is saying is, is that I am eternally existent, and I'm eternally present. I always am, and I'm always here. So that's, that is crucial. Jesus is not some God, you know, Johnny-come-lately Savior. He's not the creation of God when he saw that things, when God saw that things kind of went awry and everything was hopeless, he made this Jesus to come down and do all of this work. No, Paul is saying that forever and ever and ever in eternity past, the Son has existed. It was the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. And forever and eternity past, Jesus has been supreme in his eternality. And then he's supreme in his power. He's supreme in his power. Paul says, in him, all things hold together. This phrase, hold together, is a verb that means consistency and harmony. Jesus Christ sustains the consistency and the harmony of the entire universe. Now, I did consider how to make this point in a way that we will be in awe of what Jesus does. And I thought, okay, what, what planet do we most, uh, that we know most about? And that is the earth. And so just doing a little research uh, with your guys with the Creation uh, Institute and uh, what some of these scientists write about the earth, you know, just realize, and most of you probably know this, but the earth is about 93 million miles from the sun. I don't know if most of you knew that or not. So he asked the question, what would happen if, if the earth were to get maybe just a couple million miles closer to the sun? Well, certain things would happen, scientists would say. All right, so of, of course, uh, it would be, the, the atmosphere would be warmer. The ice would melt. It would turn into water. The water would cover the land masses. Um, the temperatures would rise. Plants would die. And it would make life very difficult, if not impossible. If you were to reverse it and go another couple million miles away from the sun, we'd get it 95, 96 million miles away, the reverse would happen. There would be more ice, less water. It would cool off, and ultimately it would make, be hard for plants to grow, animals to live, life to exist on earth. And, and what, what, what we're saying is here is, is Jesus holds the earth at the proper distance away from the sun so that neither of those things will happen. Jesus does that. The the guy who who lived and taught and loved and healed the sick and was ultimately put up on a cross to die for our sins and put in a tomb and thrown away like it was trash. Jesus is the one who does that. We can talk about the the tilt of the earth's axis and 
and how it's on a 23 and a half degree tilt. And if it were to be perpendicular, we wouldn't have seasons. If it were to be perpendicular, there was no way that people on the equator would be able to live. Everybody would have to try to run north and run south. But when we would go, we'd find that that's ice up there and ice down there, and there'd be no way to live. But we, we, we could talk about all of that. But essentially, what Paul is trying to say is that he holds everything together in perfect unity because he is supreme in his power. He's supreme in his power. If you will give me a moment. What I'm trying to do today is trying to show you the supremacy of Christ over everything in a big, huge way so that you will understand the scope of his authority and his power in your life. We could study Scripture and see the supremacy of Christ in other very specific ways. We could say that Christ is supreme in His loyalty. Anthony, Carolyn, Christ is is never going to turn His back on you. He's always going to have His face towards you. He's going to be mediating on your behalf. He's going to be advocating to the Father on your behalf. We know it. He's never going to turn away. He is supreme in His loyalty. He's supreme in His patience. Man, if if Jesus wasn't supreme in His patience, I would have already been struck down by now because I, I can be so fidgety and so impatient and so distrusting of His sovereign authority. But because He is patient, He is the epitome of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient. He's supreme in that. He's supreme in His humility. He... He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's born of this virgin Mary. He's he's born in this barn and put in an animal trough uh, to serve as some uh, bassinet. And and here he is in the middle of nowhere among animals. And here he is in his humility. He lives his whole life in humility. And ultimately, he even makes this statement, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Listen, He is supreme in His servanthood and in His humility. He is supreme in His love because while He was on the cross and people were yelling and screaming and mocking at Him and they said, come down from that cross if you are who you uh, say you are. Save yourself. And essentially Christ would be saying back to them, I would come down, but I am supreme in my love for you and so I'm not. Christ is supreme in His love. He's supreme in His justice. Listen, Psalm 2, if you're not familiar with that psalm, is just a, a glorious psalm. But essentially, in Psalm 2, the Father says about His Son that He is going to exercise perfect justice and perfect wrath against sinners who rebel against Him. And so one day there will be a reckoning. One day there will be an accounting and Christ will bring that reckoning and bring that accounting and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because Jesus is supreme in His justice and even in His wrath. And He's supreme in His eternal reign. These are all ways in which very specifically the Scriptures speak to His supremacy. You and I were created to know the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We should live our lives as if 
Jesus Christ is supreme over everything because He is. And what I want you to do right now is if you would be willing, if you would bow your head, if you can, if you can, it's fine, close your eyes. I want to address two areas. Two areas in which you are tempted not to trust the supremacy of Christ. Right now, most of you are thinking, okay, the supremacy of Christ in His authority, in His creation, in His power, in His deity, I'm all over that. I believe it. Yes and amen. That's where most of you are probably right now. I've identified two areas of unbelief that I want you to examine when it comes to the supremacy of Christ over everything. And the first is your anger. Ask the question, am I regularly tempted to be angry? And do I express anger regularly? You see, the root of anger is not being able to have what you want when you want it. It's rooted in your lusts. And it might be even be a good thing that you want. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a terrible thing. And you see, you get angry and some of you, you explode. You, you yell and you scream, you slam things, you curse, you verbally attack people, the people you're in covenant relationship with. Others of you get angry and you clam up. You act frustrated. You get irritated. You glare at the other person. You huff and you pout. And the reason you get so angry is because you're not getting what you want when you want it. And what you're saying at that moment is, I am supreme. I have sovereign supremacy. I'm the center of the universe. Everybody needs to bow down to me because I am the man or I am the woman. And what Paul would say to you from this text is, no sir, no ma'am, Christ is supreme. Christ is sovereign. Some of you are not so prone to get very angry, but others, you get full of anxiety. You worry about what might happen. And I want to tell you right now that as you're thinking about whether or not you are full of fear, full of anxiety, that you're constantly concerned about what this might happen or this may happen with my health or this may happen with my kids or this may happen with my spouse or this may happen with my job and I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't control it and I want to control it. And you've got to tell yourself that Christ is supreme. You are not. Anxiety is a result of being focused on your own circumstances rather than on Christ who is supreme over your circumstances. And Redeemer Church, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You say what you say and you do what you do because you think what you think. And you think what you think because you believe what you believe about Jesus Christ. And so my question to you right now 
is do you believe in the sovereign supremacy of Jesus Christ over everything? Do you believe it? Because if you do, you can give Him your anger. You can give Him your anxiety. You can give Him your problems. You can give Him your fears. And you can say, Christ, I trust you. You're big. You're awesome. You're God. Why don't you cry out to God right now before Phil leads us in a song of response. I want you to just ask this one question. In what way am I rejecting the supremacy of Christ in my life? God, would you help me to repent and to turn to you?